Well, now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. If you're using a pew Bible, that'll be on page, let me see, uh, 914, 914. We're now well underway with the sermon series through the book of Acts. And uh, what we've been seeing is King Jesus is reigning and ruling over his church. He's doing it even as he's ascended from heaven. And we see that the church is, is growing. And now we come to, uh, to yet more, more problems that it experiences. Um, but remember that Christ Jesus has promised that he will build his church. And so here we, ha- we come in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, to the reading of God's word. Now, in these days, and I invite you to stand, by the way, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you know what it's like to add to your family, and you know the kind of challenges that come along with that. Um, A growing family is full of blessings, uh, but of course it has many challenges, and um, you can figure I've experienced a bit of that in the past three years. Um, uh, Natalie and I having kids and seeing them added to our family, and then the surprise of, wow, we didn't expect that to happen. Uh, It's interesting how fast little ones kind of get jealous of their siblings, right? I mean, Frazier, I remember uh, he was, Lewis was only a few months old uh, when Natalie was holding Frazier's baby brother, Lewis, and Frazier said, um, mommy, baby brother doesn't want you to hold him. Daddy holds baby brother. I said, wow, he, he can read Lewis's mind. But it's a kind of challenge, it's right? Jealousy, sibling rivalry, um, and, and then you know, the exhaustion that parents face as, as they're trying to work through a new routine, new schedules. Uh, it feels, I, I told, uh, someone described it this way. When, when you're growing a family, it feels like um, your house um, has a, a new room, a new, new area added to it. And there's construction up all over the place, and there's dust that's settling, and it feels, feels like things are changing. And sure enough, they are. Well, I've said enough about the growth of families because really our passage is not about the growth of a physical family, but of, of a spiritual one, the growth of a church. And a church, when it grows, experiences um, 
much of the same blessings and challenges. Church growth is like the growth of a family because when a family of faith grows, things start to get difficult. Tensions start to form um, and, and, and there, there, there are changes that have to happen, but they take time. That's what we see happening in our passage this morning. We're going to talk about that. We're going to see the problem that the church in its early days face. Then we're going to see a solution that's put forward and we're going to see the result. But in all of this, as we walk through this passage, I want you to see that Jesus hasn't abandoned his church. That's the main thing that needs to loom over this sermon. Jesus hasn't abandoned his church. He's given his household of faith exactly what it needs, what we need. I want this sermon to lead you, to lead us to the king who cares for his church. He cares for you. So what's the problem? What was the problem in the early days of the church? We've already seen certain problems start to find their way into the life of the church. But now we come to one uh, that's new, right? What is this problem? Treatment of widows. The way that widows are being treated has become the central issue in the church in this day. It has become a scandal of sorts. Now, note right away, there's something encouraging here. Care for widows is taking place. Mercy ministry is happening. The church is engaged and they care about this. And so right as away, we're going to see a little bit more of what this problem involves, but I don't want you to hear the problem without realizing it's a problem because the church is acting. The church is moving. It's a good kind of problem, the kind of problem that, that, that happens when growth is happening. And here's the issue. There are Hellenists and Hebrews in the church. Now, what do we mean by that? Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews who have been living far away from Jerusalem, but for some reason or another, they've come to live in Jerusalem. And so they, they have different cultural customs and languages. And then you have the Hebrews. Who are they? They're people that were born and raised in Jerusalem, uh, in, in this area, this vicinity, and in Israel. And they speak mostly Aramaic or Hebrew, and they have their own cultural customs. And so what's happening is uh, the Greek-speaking Jews have widows amongst them, and the Hebrew-speaking Jews have widows amongst them. And when these people became Christian in the early days of the church— the Greek-speaking Jews start saying, well, hey, we, we've noticed something. You apostles are really caring very well for the Hebrew-speaking Christians, but what about our widows? We feel like you're overlooking them. We feel like you're neglecting them. Do you all see the problem? And this is no small issue because you can kind of tease this out, right? It has the potential to rip the church in two, right? Hellenists versus Hebrews, us versus them, along cultural, racial, linguistic lines, right down the middle. And this is, it's brewing and it's boiling over. And if something doesn't happen, a church split, a scandal could take place. Recipe for, for disaster. And the apostles see that. And here's the good thing. They take it seriously. They take the problem seriously. What a lesson for churches today. What a lesson for us and our leadership. 
You know, the apostles could have said, oh, yeah, there's those Hellenists again. They just they don't understand how things are done here. They say, you know, there's complaining happening. There's mumbling. But we need we need to get to the heart of this problem for the sake of of the dignity of Christ, the honor of his name. We don't play games. Isn't it true that these same kinds of problems present themselves in the church today? Church splits, have you heard of those? Divisions, us versus them within the same congregation? You bet, these things happen all the time in churches today. And what you need to see in this passage is, first of all, yes, yes, this happens as churches grow, but don't panic. Don't panic. Because that's what Satan wants. That's what the devil would love to see. The church just panicking and devouring and people saying, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go find another church that doesn't have these problems. Good luck finding one. Good luck finding a growing church that doesn't have growing pains. You won't find it. Charles Spurgeon once said that a couple uh, in the church came to him and said, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, uh, they said to him, you know, we've seen some problems in this church. We're, we're going to go look for, we're going to go find one that, that doesn't happen. He says, I hope you never find it because you're going to ruin it. You're going to bring problems to that church if you're looking for perfection. Every church has problems, especially good kinds of problems as churches grow. Now, we need to not panic as this, you know, friends, we're growing. Have you noticed that? Our church is growing. Jesus is slowly but surely building his, his, his work here in downtown Dayton. And you better bet we're going to encounter problems. These are not opportunities to panic. They are opportunities, challenges for us to say, by the grace and the power of, of King Jesus, let's get through this together. Let's navigate this together. Well, that's the problem. Treatment of widows, issue revolving around compassion and mercy for those uh, that, that God says that we should care most about. Now, how do they solve it? Well, there needs to be a solution, right? And the apostles, this is really good. They, they seek out a solution. And I want you to notice three things that they do. But one overarching thing that we see is they become Presbyterian. No. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding a little bit, right? I say that tongue in cheek. Yes, I mean, what we see here is a very Presbyterian move, but it's Presbyterian, I believe, because it's biblical. Um, what they are seeking to do, they, they form a committee, a very Presbyterian thing. So there's three things. First, they delegate. The apostles delegate. And this is, this is such a simple thing. They don't say, oh, there's an issue, okay, we, well, tell, the, tell all the widows to come to us and we're going to start serving them. We'll, we'll, we'll wait the tables. Now you think that would be such a noble move. That, that'd be, that, that's what they should have done. But they see something that sometimes we wouldn't see. And it's this. They see that, that no one person can do it all in the church. No one office can do it all. Because there's only one king who builds his church. And it's not me, and it's not Brad, and it's not Andrew, and it's not Nathan, and it's not Paul, and it's not David. It's Jesus. 
King Jesus is the only one who can do everything for his church. But as ministers, I mean, it's, it, I have to remind myself this, friends, on a daily basis. And if you pray for me, pray for one thing in particular, that I would know that I'm not building this church, Jesus is. And that I can't do it all, but Jesus can. And it's when ministers and leaders realize that, that they let go of control and they say, I've got to get others involved. I can't do this all on my own. It's like a household, right? Imagine if dad did the diapers and the food and you know, worked full time and uh, did all the, all the household chores. I mean, that would be a recipe for disaster. There's no delegation. There's no responsibilities. There's no, there's no roles. And so mom does what God called her to do. And the kids jump in and, and, and help mom and dad do what, what God called them to do. And the church is like that too. Where the apostles knew right away, we can't do it all. And so we've got to recruit. We've got to delegate. So they delegate. They also delegate by asking the congregation to help them choose able men. We'll get that into, to that in a moment. But the second thing they do is they prioritize. They prioritize. Now, notice what they say. At first, it's a surprising thing. They say in verse two, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, do you see what they're doing? They're looking over all the things that the church needs and they're saying, we can't do it all. So what are we going to do? And here's the first thing that the ministers, the stewards of the gospel say, we've got to preach the word. We've got to preach the word. Now, do you see what they're doing? They're seeing this thing. And this is, what, this is what churches throughout history have struggled with. There's always a temptation to downplay the preaching of the word because uh, we, churches can make themselves busy with all kinds of things. Churches can make themselves so busy with, with food pantries and, um, and, 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 and uh, serving homeless shelters and uh, you name it. But the one thing that the church must do is preach the word. That's the one thing a minister of the gospel has to do. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Why? Because it's the word of God that changes people. It's the word of God that grabs a hold of hearts and says, not that way, this way, and actually moves them to green pastures. And so if, if ministers busy themselves with, 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 with anything else other than prayer and preaching the word, and if prayer and preaching the word suffer, then we, we've taken away the very thing that gives life to the church, the very word of God. I'm really thankful to be a minister in this church where I'm reminded that by, of that by you regularly. And some of you see me trying to do other things and you say, brother, are, are you able to do that and still give full attention to the preaching of the word and praying for us? Because if not, let me help. Keep that up. Keep that up. That's exactly what the apostles are saying. They're saying, look, God gave us a task. He said, 
Spread my word and see it change people's lives. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so they say, it is not good for us to give up preaching and prayer so that we have time to serve tables. But there's something really important here. Neither can mercy ministry be neglected. Now you read that passage and someone could read it in the sense that it says, we're not gonna wait tables. We're preaching the word, right? As if, Preaching the word is so much higher and superior than to waiting tables and serving widows. That's not at all what this passage is saying. It's because both are so important that you need someone preaching and you need someone uh, serving tables and waiting on widows and caring for the poor. You see, mercy ministry, waiting on tables, deaconing. What, what is that? That is the, the, uh, if the, if the preaching is the word of Jesus going out to people, Mercy ministry is the, the hands and feet of Jesus reaching out to a world that's, that, that, that needs help and, and a people and a, and a church people that desperately need care. Jesus loves his church so much that he gave us both of those things, both of them. He cares about us too much to give us one, one without the other, word without deed or deed without, without life-giving word. And so it's a good time for us to pause and assess. How are we in, in developing as a church both a, a powerful preaching and teaching ministry, but also a robust mercy ministry? It's good for us to reflect upon. These are the kind of things that leaders need to think about, but also you need to hold us accountable to. And if you see something lacking, talk, talk to us. We want to know the problems. We want to know the growing pains. The final thing they do, they delegate, they prioritize, they ordain. They set aside seven men. Did you notice that in our passage? Not just any men, but men who are spiritually mature. Um, seven of them are listed. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Um, these are men who the scripture says are, are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and gifted with wisdom. And these are believed to be, for good reason, the first deacons ordained in the church. Right? We have elders in our church. We also have deacons. And these are apparently the first deacons. Now, what is all this showing us? It's showing us that mercy ministry is deeply spiritual. Now, here's the thing. Worldly charity... Where does it typically end? It typically ends when stomachs are full and wallets are fuller than they used to be and people are, are, are physically better off than they were before and they have more uh, accessibility to more, um, the more resources. But diaconal ministry in the church, we're talking about care and compassion from the church. It cannot stop until people are prayed with and Christ is brought near to them and, and, and the joy of salvation is, is restored to them. That's where diaconal ministry ends. You see what I'm saying? That's where mercy ministry stops. It doesn't stop. It, it starts with, with feeding stomachs and washing feet. But it ends with prayer and praise to King Jesus. 
It's amazing what Jesus has done throughout church history through mercy ministry. This has been downplayed. I, I don't know why, but we need to catch a glimpse of it. We talk about Calvin in Geneva, and we think about how he preached the word, and it went forth powerfully. But do you know about diaconal ministry in Geneva? Do you know that they, they formed hospitals and, and, and created orphanages and served over 50,000 refugees? Did you know that Geneva was known as a place of compassion and care, where word was not only going forth, but also was matched with deed? Oh, that light of the nations would be a church like that. Oh, that our network of churches here would be known for uh, the care that we extended uh, to our own and to the world as we were able. That's the solution that we see. Now, Stalin, the, the great dictator Stalin, he banned charitable activities of churches. Do you know why? He said this. The state cannot tolerate any challenge to its claim over the heartstrings of the Russian people. He saw, this dictator saw in a glimpse, the power of mercy ministry. To care for people, to, for, for the church to show compassion to hearts and to extend Jesus to them. And he says, yeah, we're going to stop that right now. Well, we shouldn't stop. We need more and more and more of that. Word and deed. Now, what's the result? What was the outcome? Well, we see it in, in verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This is the first time you're going to hear that phrase, but it's not the last. If you turn to Acts chapter 12, verses 24, you'll see, you'll hear this. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And then go ahead and turn to chapter 19, verse 20, and you hear this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What's happening throughout the book of Acts? We see problem after problem assailing the church, growing pains assailing the church. But they're problems that King Jesus overcomes and his church expands even mightily through them. The church grew because of how Jesus provided for it. The church grew because of the organizational and strategic structure that Jesus put in place through his apostles. Now, here's what's so interesting to me. I mean, I, I often I mean, it's it's about every week that I talk with someone that says, you know, I'm done with organized religion. And I want to dig deeper and understand what they mean by that. Sometimes they've really been hurt by the church. Sometimes they've, they've really been wounded. Um, but if it's, if the problem, and sometimes this is it, sometimes people have a problem with organized religion because it starts to feel structured and strategic and organized. And you know, Jesus says, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. Good strategy, good organization, good leadership breathes life into the church. And so if you're here saying, I, don't, I just don't know about this Presbyterian stuff. I don't know about elders and deacons and leaders and church membership. I'd suggest to you that you, you should embrace it and say, this could be a very good thing. This could be a very good thing. In fact, it could be exactly what King Jesus prescribed for the church to bless it. Because organized religion in Acts chapter 6, it didn't squelch the church. It fueled it. 
You see, Jesus runs his church and cares for his people through the gift of institutional structure and delegation of responsibility. And so when you hear me or Brad or a a visiting pastor up here preaching the word, you should say, you know, I know that Pastor Tyler has problems, but Jesus is working through the preaching of his word. And when you see Dave and Paul uh, seeking to be deacons in this church and, and, and you see them trying to navigate that, say, I know those gentlemen. I know that they are, are human beings, but I know that Jesus from his throne on high and by the power of his Holy Spirit is working through them to do good things for our church and spilling out into our community. Embrace the structure, embrace the leadership. Friends, do you see Christ care for you in the way he set up his church? He did that for you because he loves you so much that he didn't want to leave you abandoned. So he gives you his Holy Spirit and he gives you leaders and he gives you a church that comes around you and cares for you in exactly the way you need it. Do you see it? Do you, do you believe it's for your good? Don't resist it. Love it and embrace it. It means, by the way, that as we involve you, as we should, according to this passage, in calling more men to the ministry, elders and deacons, you need to look for men that are full of faith in the Holy Spirit and wisdom and meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because that's very, very important as we look for those that are going to be serving Christ and his people. Here's another question as we come to a close. How can you join the church in carrying out Christ's ministries of word and ministry? Maybe Christ is calling you through this passage to talk to a deacon today and say, how can I help you? How can I be on call? What do I need to do to, to, uh, for delegation to happen? How, how can I assist the church in the work of, of, of word and, and, and mercy? One of the first ways you can do that is by praying for us. But you can also move your feet as well. I've seen, you, I've seen you doing it. Do it more and more. Ask us, how can I help? Believing that Christ is in all of this for your good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You give gifts to your church, and what a gift we see here. It's a gift that in in the midst of growing pains of of an increasing congregation, you you gave your church officers, and you gave your church structure so that it might not be chaos and division, but leadership and love and direction. And, And you did this, Jesus, from your throne on high. We thank you for that. We ask that you would continue to build your church. May you grow light of the nations more and more. And may we be confident in, in the, uh, the tokens that you've given us here in Acts chapter 6 to know that the gates of hell shall never prevail against your church. You're going to bring her all the way to glory. You're going to bring us to glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.